When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Thanks for downloading the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm Evans Kennedy, joined as per usual, but in this occasion, not in the Final Furlong Podcast studios. Right now, he is currently hurtling down the motorway. The question is, does he have a smile on his face? At the Races pundit Kevin Blake, your horse was just sold. Hello. How did you get on? Yeah, he did grand, though. Happy with him. Um, he's going to. He's going on a travel. Um, he was bought by Darley Japan, so he'll be on the plane over to Japan and uh, to uh, start his racing career there. So he's the first foal out of the mare. So it's, it's, it's important to. It's important to get him into a good home where they'll have a good opportunity to, to get the mare off and running. And then that's where he's going. So yeah, exciting day. Well, Japan. Uh, job done. Japan, notoriously soft. You know, Franklin can get a Group 1 winner over there. Oh, rabble, rabble, rabble. Um, you must be thrilled, though, that, that the horse has, first of all, been sold, but second of all, that it's gone international. You've, you've made it international, Kevin Blake. Yeah, and he was a lovely horse. He was a lovely horse. Everyone that saw him liked him. He was a difficult horse to, to, to find fault with. Um, and he, I, I, you know, being greedy, you know, and of course, we're always a bit greedy. He might, he might have made a little bit more, but... Mm. Um, we, we, we put a value on him um, and he made it so that's it and, uh, the, you can't but be happy with that couple of questions for those who don't know what's his breeding uh, he's by Raven's Pass out of a mare called Brown Bee uh, who's by Camacho she won a, she was actually when she was sold as a yearling she was the most expensive uh, son or daughter of Camacho ever sold um, the um, Tara Bloodstock bought her and she was training with Jerry Lines and what it made. And uh, she's just a gorgeous, gorgeous mare. Um, and to be fair, she's made a great start now as a mammy because this fellow had, had plenty of quality as well. Um, so, yeah, it's great. He's a straightforward horse, never gave, a, never gave any sort of trouble or bother at any stage, really. Um, people got a great kick out of it. I put a video up of him when I think he was two days old and going out in the field for the first time when he... But yeah. he got a bit excited and took off running and ran head head first into his mother and landed on his arm. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So uh, I think that entertained a few people. But he's grown up into a big, strong boy now and with a great old mind. So he should be well able for, for Japan. And hopefully hopefully he's a champion. And how much did he make? Uh, 34000 he made. Good work, Mr. Kevin Blake. Uh, good work, sir. That's a good, solid price for him now, so... I, the, the, you know, the most important thing now is that he's going to he's going to a good address, and uh, he'll be given every opportunity to to do well. And that's the that's the beauty about breeding horses is you just don't know. He could be so useless. He could be a champion. We don't know. Yeah, that's the um, exciting so, thing about it, though. I mean, I've I've seen him. I've seen the mare, and I've seen him as a as a young fella in your in your uh, stables and he's he's quite the looker to be fair to him and the mare is very impressive but it's it's exciting to see a young horse like that then up close and now he's gone to the sales and now he's off halfway around the world to start his career hopefully he'll turn out to be a, a really class act but you've got your job done so but you'll, you'll follow his career with interest oh yeah absolutely it's, 
this guy, he's actually, he looks very like his father. If you looked at their facial markings, they're pretty much identical. Um, there, and there's a lot of Ravens fast about him. And you like to see that as well. You like to see that the mayor is throwing towards the sire. You know, that, that's, that's never a bad thing. So um, I, can see, I can see why they liked him. A lot of people liked him. Um, and he, he made a few quid. And yeah, we, we kick on to the next one now. That's the, the whole thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not a... I'm not. Uh, I can't afford to be holding on to all these horses, no matter how much I like them. So you, you gotta, you gotta sell them and keep them moving, and then worry about the next one. Yeah, and drinks on Blake next time I see you. By the way, uh, next time you're down in the <laughs> studio, the, the skittles are on you. Right, welcome back to Bloodstock Talk with Kevin Blake, producer D and Emmett. We're talking about <laughs> cookie crazy Bloodstock stories. Uh, we're also joined by the Irish Fields, Rory Delargy. Rory, welcome back to the show, my friend. Good evening. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been ages. Well, we got you back on finally. Uh, so listen, expect, let's, let's. I expect to start coughing any time now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been grand for months. You told yeah, maybe us. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe you're actually just allergic to the final fur on the podcast. It is a possibility. Yeah. For all <laughs> well, well, there would be there would be some who would argue that would actually be a medical diagnosis at this stage. But anyway, we'll find out how Rory gets on with hot brandies in tow in the background to try and keep him uh, fit and well. Um, we're also going to find out just who it was, what done it at the weekend. Who shot oh. Lydia Hislop? <laughs> Rory Dillarge knows. I love the book on that. Rory knows, and Rory's going to reveal all a little bit later on. Apparently, producer D was supposed to get a sketch made up, and she failed to do it. So, well done, D. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Absolutely <laughs> outstanding. She had another job to do as well, which was send me the really funny names on Stable Stars. The final Forlorn podcast team, which is over a thousand players, by the way. Find out what, what's the most hilarious names. Well, first of all, there's some questionable names in there. Vanessa, do me a favor. Don't look at the league. Don't look at the final. <laughs> there, there are some scandalous names. Do there. not look <laughs> at that league, Vanessa. Just, don't, just stay away from it. Uh, look at your own <laughs> scores and focus on that. Uh, there's a lot of Kennedy loves women. Thanks, Blake. Really appreciate that. Uh, that's really cut on. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, there's a few other good ones. And Producer D failed to do that as well. So we'll talk about that on next week's show. Uh, We'll also talk about the return of a former Cheltenham hero, a horse who's synonymous, really, with the final Furlong podcast. And it was great to see him back in action over the weekend. Josie's Orders. Josie's Orders was back in action at Punchestown. And Faheen made his... Boy, he made his return as well. So we'll talk about that and, and what really caught the lads' attention. But, um, well, first of all, talk about Finian's Oscar because we'll go to Friday at Cheltenham. Uh, odds on favourite. He beat Move at the Times. It was an emotional win after the death of Alan Potts during the week. And he produced an impressive display, I thought, Rory, especially considering he was conceding weight. Yeah, I... I mean, I, I've always liked Finian's Oscar, but I thought he was I thought he was underpriced for that race because both Move at the Times and William Henry looked really really interesting chasing recruits as well and he was trying to give them eight pounds in a race that might not have been run to suit him with a you know when he wasn't particularly tested on debut and with slight questions to answer about his jumping so i thought he had i thought he had plenty to do um and he wasn't you know he, he wasn't a hundred percent perfect uh he was a bit wild at the first um, and it took a little time for him to warm to his jumping, but he got better as the race went on, travelled really smoothly, and particularly likeable the way he rallied when Move of the Times mugged him at the last, because Move of the Times was given a decent ride to come and, and blindside Finian's Oscar. Great ride. Um, to get to the run in. And if Finian's Oscar had finished second there, you'd have said, 
You know, he's lost nothing in defeat. Um, but he saw the Albert Horse come past him and thought, I'm having none of that. And he's rallied really well to win in decent style. You can maybe snag off move of the times a little bit in that you can ask how much he wants to fight. But I would I would hand it mostly to the winner here, Finian's Oscar, because I thought um, that that's the certainly the first time he's been properly tested over fences. His hurdling career was a was a short one anyway, and there were a couple of you know a couple of things he did last season. You had slight question marks over his finishing effort was not always that strong. Travelled really well, put his races to bed quickly last season, and then you know wasn't always hugely impressive in the last hundred yards of his races. So to do this at Cheltenham was. Um, uh, was a big positive. That was on good to soft. Now, Brian Cooper was the winning jockey, obviously. Can we put to bed the rumours, Rory, that the reason you haven't been on the final Furlong podcast is because you've been in protective custody now that Brian Cooper is based in the UK? <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely no truth to that rumour whatsoever. Close personal friends. They'll be spotted drinking cognac very, very soon. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, what did you make of Finian's Oscar, Oscar's performance? And what kind of a Cheltenham prospect does he look to you? I know a uh, friend of the show, friend uh, James Knight, has been given out about, oh, here we go, Roads to Cheltenham has already started. There's actually some great racing on. The Tinkle Creek isn't far away. The Betfair Chase is on this weekend. But yeah, it is all about Cheltenham. So apparently he was being heard to say, Colin Tizard, uh, or Mr. Armadillo was being heard to say that um, this horse could go for the JLT. <laughs> for the JLT, uh, but was also telling a few journalists that he could go for the Arco. And I know that there's a few who are interested for the RSA as well. What's your thoughts? Um, I would see him as a JLT horse. You know, uh, for me, this performance was somewhere in between fine and good. Uh, I thought it was a good, solid performance. Like Rory says, you, you, you like what he was doing in the run-in, see him being that strong. Um, one wonders, was it a, a slight... Uh, optical illusion and that uh, was he that strong or was moving the times that week but, but it was probably a combination of the two and I just thought it was a nice performance uh, I wouldn't be considering dropping him to two miles myself but for me judging him and what we've seen that might be a JLT man yeah I'd be in agreement with you there as well JLT for me too it's going to be interesting though. he's a fascinating racehorse and it'll be fascinating to see what they do with him throughout the season he's going to be one of the stars of the show right there's no point in talking about anything else on Friday because because of course it didn't run so we can move on from there and go straight to Saturday and um, Friday I suppose it all kicked off really we'll talk about that a little bit later on uh, but Nicky <laughs> Henderson was back in the winner's enclosure uh, at Cheltenham with Apple Shakira. I believe that the breeder of this racehorse was saying that this horse is going to smash this lot and will then go on to win in grade one company. And she did it and did it in style. 17 lengths from Gumball, who looked quite good previously. And uh, quite a few bookmakers, of course, were loving the idea of having Gumball as favourite for the Triumph Hurdle, and then Apple Shakira arrives and absolutely smashes them. Uh, the thing I was really taken with, Kevin, was the, the interview that Barry Garrity did with Lydia Hislop on RUK. He could not hide his enthusiasm for... Garrity! Garrity! Barry G's uh, interview with uh, Lydia Hislop, and the, the fact he couldn't hide his, his enthusiasm about this horse. He was talking about the fact that I think he, he, was, he got on uh, board for the first time to work her last month. He said he'd never read a written a three-year-old um, that uh, was exciting as this. Uh, he says she doesn't know her job yet. Uh, Lydia tried to get him to compare him to last year's winner, uh, Deffy Desoy. So two, two different horses. Deffy Desoy knows his job. She doesn't. 
when she does, damage she could cause and, and the star she could be. We tend to get over-enthusiastic about these horses. I already am. But a 17-length winner of a triumphal trial in those famous colours with Barry Garrity purring afterwards, you can't be anything but excited. Garrity! I'm doing it to wind you up now. <laughs> She was very good, wasn't she? Um, you know, conditions had got a bit tougher by by the time of this race. Uh, Gumball, you know, he 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 didn't do everything right on the front end, um, but she was very good. She was very good. I can see Harris points about her kind of learning as she went, and she was just very very strong. She came over to this near side, which has as it transpired, and that's what touched on many times. That they talking about this near side was where you needed to be. Uh, but it was impressive, you know, she had more, almost certainly be for different conditions on the big day if we want to, you know, be really Cheltenham-centric uh, for the triumphs. But it was deadly, you know, by far the best juvenile performance we've seen this season, obviously. And uh, hard to knock, I thought. There's obviously going to be a, a lot of other horses to emerge on the scene between now and then. But she's a, a sister to Apple's Jade. We know what she's capable of and what she's done already. Um, Nikki Anderson's got a great record with juvenile hurdlers. There's just an awful lot of excitement about this horse, Rory. She's four to one favorite for the Triumph Hurdle. That is short. But I've already heard some people say to me they think she's a bet. But there's going to be so many horses. I mean, by the time we get to the race at Kempton, the juvenile hurdle trial at Kempton, that's normally when we finally have everything in place. And now we know. Yeah, that's that's the cutoff point, the final piece of the jigsaw, if you like. But we already um, have a four to one favorite for the Triumph Hurdle. It's it's very short, although she was hugely impressive. Yeah, it's, it, it is very short. I and mean, we've seen horses this sort of price historically, and you don't know what's going to come out of the woodwork. But it, it makes sense that she was put in favourite for the Triumph Hurdle because Gumball had been favourite beforehand. So Gumball ran the same race he did at Chepstow. He barely jumped a hurdle, um, but he's a strong galloper and he kept on all the way to the line. So it, it's the obvious reaction to, to put her in there as, as favourite. It's well worth pointing out um, how conditions are deteriorated and I was going to say what a lottery Cheltenham is. It's not a lottery at all in those conditions. If you don't come wide on the track, you've got no chance. No chance. And Barry Garrett, it was quickly towards the outside rail um, and that, that did her a lot of favours. She was visually very impressive in the end. You can um, you can certainly knock the form um, because, you know, Gumball can't keep jumping like that and, and turn out to be a grade one horse. Um, so she was receiving weight from him. She probably didn't have to run to anything like Triumph Hurdle winning form to win this race, but she promises an awful lot for the future. So you wouldn't want to be, you know, getting your boots on and, and laying her for everything you have. She could be very, very special indeed. Yes. But um, let's, let's wait for, for developments over Christmas before deciding whether she's a fantastic bet for the Triumph or not. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Beautiful pedigree, exciting horse, but... 4-1 to one for the Triumph Hurdle doesn't exactly keep you warm over the winter. Uh, very quick word on Black Corton, uh, Rory, just because um, Young Frost gave this horse a fantastic ride again. She has a terrific relationship with the horse. And I thought Paul Nichols' interview with Lydia afterwards was very interesting as well. He, was, he seemed to be really, really taken with this. And I'm sure Paul is just delighted to win a graded race. Actually, sorry, it's not a graded race. Oh, no, sorry, Paul. It's not a graded race. No, it's a, yeah, it, it was, it was uh, the, uh, my, my, uh, my employer's... Um, put it up as another big race win for Brianie Foss in the, in the grade two 
um, oh novice it's a, class, it's a class two novice um, against two very promising horses in Ballyoptic and West Approach that's what's Although also West known as that's what's also known as trolling Paul Nichols given his lack of graded options but anyway he, uh, he, yes. he's beaten he's beaten Ballyoptic and West Approach and he's done it well and she's got a, a great understanding with the horse and clearly like her interview with Lydia as well was terrific afterwards in, in the enthusiasm that she has um, and there's no patronizing here at all this is a really talented jockey who's gone onto the big yeah, stage she's, and she's done exceptionally well she's she's impressed me for a couple of seasons now Bryony frost but you know uh, in the first instance she was impressing me riding at newton abbott against other amateurs and thinking she can hold her own and she's she's okay i wouldn't mind backing her if i fancied a horse she's come on enormously uh, and you saw that at the cheltenham festival last year um she got a tremendous tune out of the um, out of the uh, Fox Hunter winner, um, and she's done it several times this season as well, particularly in Black Court. And at the last meeting here as well, uh, I struggle to believe that he's a better horse than Ballyoptic, but he's a more straightforward horse, I suppose. Ballyoptic was a little bit disappointing when he was headed, although it would have been an interesting race if if uh, Richard Johnson hadn't asked Ballyoptic for a really big jump at the last, which he missed. Um, if he'd because Blackcorn was just getting tired at that stage and if Ballyoptic had just popped the fence it would have been quite an interesting finish but um, I think that the story of this race was was about Bryony Frost Paul Nichols didn't think Blackcorn was much good he was running him through the summer at Worcester um, on, on good ground he, he's a horse who doesn't really have an awful lot of form in this sort of surface uh, and I, again I wouldn't be going mad about the form although if you'd asked me for a horse to follow uh, a few days before this in the novice chase department I'd have put Bally Optic up as, as a horse who would do really well this season so I was a bit disappointed with him but mm. you know hats off to, to connections of Black Court and they've been making hay and Paul Nichols said you know when they keep winning races you don't you don't put them away you, you give them another chance so he's going to go to uh, to Kempton for the Cotto Star I believe he might run before then uh, I, I think he'll be found out soon enough to be honest but he is a very, very straightforward, very professional horse, and that's what's one of a few races. Yeah, interesting to see how his career trajectory continues. The Bet Victor Gold Cup was won by Splash of Ginge. Now, hint of word of caution here. I know that one of our uh, contestants on the Final Forum podcast at the Race of Stable Stars League had, I think, the one, two, three in the Bet Victor, which is extraordinary. Um, Splash of Ginge was a, was a good winner of this race. He got up by a neck. He's a really lovable horse. There's a great story about the, the owner as well and how enthusiastic he is. Um, you've got Twisto in there, giving it socks in the, in the winner's enclosure. Um, that being said, conditions were awful at this point. I mean, it had gone from soft, heavy in places. <sighs> Maybe I'm just bitter about Starkitect getting chinned. I don't know. But um, uh-huh. it, was, it was great for Splash of Ginge and great for Tristan Davis. Uh, fantastic ride from Tom Bellamy. Starkitect has r- run a good one. Very briefly and succinctly sum this race up for us, Rory. And I'll, and I'll start it by asking you, given the fact that conditions have deteriorated as badly as they had, is this a race that you would look to the future with for the rest of the season? Or do you just say, on the day, best horse won? Yeah, I just write it off, to be honest. Um, but uh, the most important thing... Uh, we've had discussions on and off air about the whole thing about everything's pointing to the future and the Cheltenham Festival you've got to you've got to enjoy big races like this for what they are um, and enjoy the winners and John Neild is absolutely fantastic for racing and also for pubs both of those things John Neild's great for pubs and he's great for racing and long may that continue oh man oh 
I'm sorry I wasn't there now. Actually, no, I'm not. I was very glad I was just watching ITV in UK because I, I felt like I was getting wet watching it. It was awful conditions. But then you see the excitement in the winner's enclosure from him. He's just such a character. Um, Stark Architect, he's been beaten by a neck. Has he got one of these big races in him? Uh, yeah, he does. He's I, I napped him when he was when he was. Uh, interestingly, the first and second um, finished, and no horse has ever has ever won the the, the Schweppes and the Maxon, as somebody said, the Betfair Hurdle and the and the Bet Victor Gold Cup um, until Splash of Change did it. And ironically, Stark Architect has been second in both races. He was he was narrowly <laughs> beaten. He was beaten by um, was he beaten by Obison? Beaten yeah. by uh, by. Um, Lizzie Kelly, anyway, and I napped yeah. him that day at about 25 to 1. Uh, thankfully, I didn't nap him again on Saturday, otherwise I'd have been, I'd have been really tearing my hair out. Um, yeah, he, he's perfectly genuine. He did everything right, and he battled back. Um, and he's only a six-year-old. He's had plenty of racing. He's effective on on uh, very soft ground and, and on top of the ground as well. And as long as the handicapper doesn't... I'd like the handicapper to look at this race and say, and say it wasn't a great race and nothing deserves to go up more than four or five pounds from it. Because obviously, in a race like this, normally you end up having the winner going up ten pounds and the second going up six, mm. uh, that kind of thing, and that would be very harsh on Star Architect, who doesn't deserve to go up more than a couple of pounds for that performance. Uh, and if he does, then he, he will be competitive, and hopefully, there's a big race in him because he's gone very close now on a couple of of the biggest handicaps of the season. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what David Pipe does with him for the rest of the season. Uh, Thomas Campbell to round things off for us on Saturday. He's getting quotes for the stairs hurdle on the back of his victory in the. Uh, in the three o'clock, the regulatory finance solutions handicap hurdle. I'd say they're a right barrel of laughs. That's what you're. Yeah, that's the VIP table you really want to be at, <laughs> isn't it? Um, he, he's done it well. I, I thought that the second was going to do him, and and he's found for pressure then for James Bowen. The second was given well. a very very good ride. Yeah, yeah. Paddy Brown's given Ontario a, a cracking ride. And to be honest, um, James Bowen. Everyone raves about James Bowen, as do I. Um, he, he's a tremendously talented jockey. Um, he was cool through this, but he did allow Paddy Brennan to get that important run up the rail when he was travelling best. If you're travelling best, turning for home at Cheltenham and soft ground, you need to make sure you're the one getting across to the stands rail from the final hurdle. And he allowed Paddy Brennan to do that, but the horse had so much on hand um, that he was able to rally him. And, and the fact that he didn't panic was was crucial there as well. Bear in mind, he was winning this effectively off a mark of 141. He's not going to be winning any stairs hurdle. Yeah, I don't think so either. But we'll we'll see how he gets on. But he wouldn't be on my list. But what do, what do you think of him? Is he the, the old cliche bingo chaser in the making type? He might be. Um, there are there are more hurdlers than chasers in his family. As a national hunt family, he had a, a half sister actually who ran a cracker um, at um, was it Plumpton or Thornwell? Thornwell yesterday, and they they have been decent hurdlers. He's not. You never know whether they're going to be better chasers. It's just it's one of those cliches. He, he's a, a decent hurdler. He doesn't look like he's screaming out for fences, but he is quite robust and he looks like he will jump a fence in time. But if if we're if we're guilty of hyping up the Cheltenham Festival every year, then talking about horses eighteen months before they're going to be winning a decent chase is probably a bigger sin, isn't it? Yeah, James Knight's just throwing his iPhone off the wall. <laughs> All right, to Sunday, the Schlur chase, as Kevin Blake likes to call it, and Fox Norton. Uh, Kevin rang me yesterday to see, basically, you were fishing for info, Kev. You wanted to know who was in my Stable Stars team. And yeah, you, you threw in the sly question. Did you, did, did you have Fox Norton in your team, Kennedy? Yes, I did. 
Uh, an eighth-length winner for Brian Cooper. Another emotional victory, uh, given what happened to Alan Potts <laughs> during the during the week. You seem to be on like a 15-second delay for some reason. It's like speaking to somebody in Latvia back in the 90s on on satellite television. Um, Fox Norton got the job done. He was an odds-on favorite. He's beaten the champion chase winner, uh, Special Tiara. The ground was atrocious. Um, we have the. We'll talk more, believe me, about LTR a little bit later on, and particularly about the uh, press room. But um, if Altior is going to end up missing most of the season, indeed, possibly all of it, uh, and Dovan we haven't seen back in action yet, could Fox Norton, could they halt the idea of ste stepping up and trip Kevin and keep him to this kind of distance of around two miles? And I, I know that the quote from Mr. Armadillo afterwards was... Uh, <laughs> 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 it goes in my head now. You destroyed Colin Tizard for me, Kevin. You've ruined Colin Tizard for me. <laughs> <laughs> can, can somebody, when Lydia, I'm sorry, uh, Lydia, I apologize in advance, but when Lydia or Nick or, um, or, or, or Chappers or Ed or Ollie, when one of you are, are interviewing Colin Tizard, can one of our listeners please risk getting ejected from the race course and just run up behind and go, Armadillos! <laughs> run, run very quick. <laughs> right, Fox Norton, he said that all the prestigious races are over three miles too. He ran a fine race in it last year, and he's, he's obviously got the speed for it, Kevin. Do you, do you think they will up him in trip, or could they keep him to this distance? I think they, they should explore longer trips now, to be honest with you. Last year was a year for that, and if he was up to it a trip, it is quite happened. But I wouldn't read too much into Sunday either now, because we are, you know, it's well established. Special Tiara just can't operate on that type of ground. Um, at all, uh, he put up a good performance. He did what he needed to do, but I wouldn't read too deeply into it now. Yeah, I'd be in agreement with you. It's it's good to see him back and performing so well, but I wouldn't exactly be, be jumping around the place for it. Um, Rory, you're good friends. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. Oh, okay. Well, you're good friends with Colin Tizard. What's oh, he said to you this oh, morning? Come I on. did. Um, I, I had to do a podcast straight after the the um, uh, the Greatwood yesterday, and. Perhaps I didn't check my emotion enough, but um, this wins the champion chase, doesn't it? <gasps> this should be fa this should be favourite for the champion chase. I said afterwards, and although I realise that's a very reckless sounding call, I'm I'm not sure I'd have to qualify it an awful lot more than that. Um, th the notion that he needs further is is nonsense. Colin's been trying to convince himself since since the day he got the horse. That he was, that he'd be, you know, he needed two and a half miles, and that he's essentially a stare because that's what he, that's kind of what he wanted to think because he he wanted to have options in the two mile division or, you know, for, for the the um, the owner to have options in the two mile division. But he stays all good, all top class two mile chasers over the years stay two and a half. They don't need two and a half though, and this horse um, is. The real deal now. He's the full package. Bear in mind, when he ran in the champion chase last year, he was short of peak fitness. He spent the whole of the month of December in his box. And that's a big deal. We're talking about Altior missing the season now yeah. because he's got to have two weeks of box rest in November. That, that rules him out until until the festival, apparently. This was a horse who spent his, pretty much the, the whole of December in his box, having uh, sustained quite a serious injury. Yeah. In the in the Schlur chase last year, he, he he scraped down a tendon in a foreleg, took all the skin off. It was it was a really messy injury that needed the vet 
to come out to him every day for three or four weeks. Um, and he was desperately unfit when he ran in the game spirit. He ran a cracker in the champion chase and would have got up on another stride. Um, but had he been fit for that, he would have won. And he was ridiculously impressive at Liverpool. And it wasn't because of the increase in trip. He was travelling like the winner every yard of that race. Mm. And we just haven't given him the credit he deserves. He is, he is an absolutely top-notch two-mile chaser. And how he is a bigger price than, than York Hill and the same price as Min for the champion chase is absolutely beyond me. Well... Never mind Alstor and Duvan. I completely take your point. I think it would be fascinating if they decide we're going to keep this horse at two miles. He would obviously be a huge contender if he does. But of course, he'll be undone by Bez and his disco biscuits will undo him. Because <laughs> he'll just tear off in the lead. <laughs> and Great Field won't be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bez, he's had a setback, Great Field. Oh, no! He's had a setback. He's, he's not going to run to the string. He spent too oh, much time in coppers, did he? Oh, no, that's awful. Yeah. Oh, 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 all right. right. Uh, this, you, you can get away with this thing when you're a novice and you're a young fella now, but when you come into open company, you can't be out every weekend on the disco biscuit. Exactly. That's, you just can't be. Right, all right. Well, make him odds on favourite then. Let's uh, let's do that. Uh, no, I'm fascinated <laughs> in Fox Noir. <laughs> also, the, the other thing I'll say about the race, I know, I know Kevin's made the point, and I would have agreed with it until the weekend, specialty aura can't go on the ground. He actually went perfectly well on the ground until he, until um, uh, you know from the last fence when he when he got in a battle for um, for second place and he was just touched off for that in the end. I expected him to flounder, but I don't think he did. Mm. And interestingly, Colin Tizard said after the race, um, young horses want fast ground and old horses want soft ground. Yeah, that's a good point. And he not that he's an old horse, folks, Norton, but a lot of what Q card, for example, you know, he's reveled in the mud. He could not handle it at all as a young horse. I remember his first King George. He, he barely made it halfway round. He was he was That's right. uh, on heavy ground. He was beaten at the first fence, um, and then he's turned into you know now everyone just thinks he's a mud lover, uh, and that is a good point. And actually, for all special tiaras, never looks happy on the ground. He was a lot. He he jumped superbly on the ground, and I I thought he would I thought he would struggle to hit the frame, but. He was only just nosed out a second in the end, and I thought he ran a very good race. So it's a better race than, than it appeared at the time. Yeah. Um, Fox Norton is the real deal. Eight lengths. So we'll see what they do with so Fox what, Norton. So basically what Colin is saying, that young horses like a crunchy on the outside and <laughs> old horses like, like a soft on the inside. Yes, it's sort of armadillo when you're young, dime bar when you're old. <laughs> Kevin Blake, what have you done? Right, let's move on uh, to the very brief word, very succinct word here on the uh, the Arkle Trophy, the Racing Post Arkle Trophy trial. Uh, North Hill Harvey beats River Wild, beats Aussie the Oscar. Capitam uh, is a non-runner, just the three runners. Um, can North Hill Harvey make it up into being an Arkle contender? Rory DeLarge. He could do, but this was a schooling session. Uh, River Wild... Um, was beaten at a very early stage. I don't think he handled the conditions, River Wild. Looked very uncomfortable. Um, also, the Oscar ran a good race for a long way, but he'd made his chase debut just over a week prior to that, and it looked like that told on him. Um, he was going along quite happily with North Hill Harvey until the third last, and then cracked very quickly. The one thing I'll say about North Hill Harvey, he handled the conditions um, very well, and he jumped very fluently. But he had everything his own way, essentially. It was perfectly set up for him. So we haven't learned an enormous amount. But 
we probably don't put enough focus on jumping and and um uh that was a very assured display of jumping on soft ground from north hill harvey so give him a lot of credit for that yeah and it was a fine performance yeah. on on ground that was awful now I, I quite liked what itv did by interviewing the jockeys australian style uh i particularly liked it because when you see the australians they they they're not afraid to give their opinions they're not afraid to say exactly how they feel about things and, and what their what their thought process is but brian Hughes just went off on one <laughs> he, let, he let them have it it was brilliant to watch we need more of this in, in racing i know simon clay has had his say since but uh hats off to brian Hughes. um he did not hold back uh he was writing project blue book who was well behind elgin uh ollie bell made the mistake of trying to get an interview with Alan King beforehand, and he just, I think the quote from Ed Chamberlain was, he custard pied him, uh, completely ignored <laughs> him. <laughs> and, we know, for you. and we know why now, uh, because he, he just about gets up from, from Mr. Sin by a neck. Uh, old guy running a fine race, a previous winner of this race, and I'll tell you what, Kevin Blake could be onto something. This could finally be the season for the new one, winning the champion hurdle. What a fine run back in fourth place. Uh, with Richard Johnson on board. This could be the season for the new one. <clears throat> Fine run from the old boy. Well done to him. Uh, Elgin, nice win. Great story for Elite Racing Club. Uh, over to the Breeders' Cup for a, a, a nice run there. They've had success with Marsh, of course, uh, throughout the season on the flat. And, and now they've got uh, another one that was bred by Elite Racing winning at Cheltenham. It's a fantastic story. It is. Um, and they got a fair price about him as well. He was almost too obvious. Everyone was looking for the plot on the race and the horse that won a listed handicap hurdle at Asco on his previous start um, was fairly friendless in the market through the uh, the morning. Um, but he toughed it out nicely. Again, the key to this is, for some reason, half the field um, didn't want to go to the outside of the track at all. The, the skeleton horse was beaten um, as they lined up because he was going to go around the inside. That was that was him losing 30 lengths from the start. What was that about? Um, and the first, second and third stayed very wide and were prominent throughout. And that, that is an absolutely crucial point. You've got to be well enough handicapped to, to fight it out in the end. But they didn't give up track position. I thought, um, uh, I, I don't want to, I never want to, to knock him as a, a rider because he's an exceptional jockey, Richard Johnson. But I thought he, he made a mistake on um, on the new one in that he thought that William H. Bonney was going best of all, and he switched to the centre of the track mm. from the top of the hill to track that horse, which lost him his chance of winning. He was just under the, you know, a little bit under the caution at the time. The pair who finished first and second were going a little bit better, but he stays all day, and I thought he stayed on really well up the hill, given that he, he lost a lot of impetus and, and rather lost his way going towards the inside um, uh, into the straight. And that, his race was gone then. But when he was switched again from the last, he rallied well to, to get up for fourth. Um, and I think he'd have gone close if he'd stuck to that outside route as well. He probably wouldn't have won, but I think he'd have finished, you know, no more than a length or two behind the winner. Well, and that would have been an enormous performance. You've given the crucial line there, though. He stays very well. Surely this is yeah. finally the season that he actually lines up in the stairs hurdle. Well, he stays very well for two miles. <laughs> He stays very well for two miles. That doesn't necessarily mean you want to, you want to be going three miles. He wants to be going as hard as he can from from flying fall, really. Mm. Uh, and that's why he always gets caught. He gets caught out particularly in good ground champion hurdles because he's not especially 
he's not especially quick through the air. Although actually, I thought his jumping was was pretty good um, yesterday. Well, sure, this is what uh, Kevin said. <laughs> this is what Kevin said at the season preview. Yeah. Said the kissing spine operation. It's complete. He's back and been in bits. It's like me. He, he he's sorted. Although I'm not sorted, but he's sorted. He can be a champion hurdler now. No, he can't be. No, look, it's a fine run. Yeah, I'd, I'd, se- I'd settle for the for the stairs hurdle for him. The, the the thing, the weakness he has now is just when they're going downhill and turning on the taps. He doesn't have the speeds to quite go with them, and he lost his place a little bit. Not massively. He just lost a couple of positions. Yeah. Um. And he was, you know, he was within two lengths of the leader, and then and then Dicky decided. And it was a fair, it was a fair point to make. You had to make a split second decision. He looked around him, and the horse who was swinging away was William H. Bonney, uh, and he switched to, to track him through. And William H. Bonney's blown up, I think, before they got to the last, and it ended up being the wrong, the wrong move. But when you're in the middle of a race and you've got to make that kind of decision, it made sense at the time. It's just when you're able to watch it on TV unfolding, you you can see where it might go wrong. If Sam um, Tristan, if Sam Tristan Davis doesn't get to ride this horse in the stairs hurdle this season, I think he will throw a proper hissy fit, and he'll probably be deserved of throwing a hissy fit as well. Um, succinctly and briefly, Slate House, winner of the Skybet Supreme trial, novices hurdle. Again, conditions were awful, but another winner for your close personal friend, Colin Tizard. Yeah, I, this is a horse I really like. I saw him win at the last meeting. Um, I liked him in the paddock. I especially liked his manner of going through a race. Very relaxed, lovely free going, but not when I say free going, I don't mean hard pulling, I just mean he moves very freely. He seems very relaxed. Um, everything about him is natural. Whereas a lot of horses with his um, experience, the jockey ha- has to teach them an awful lot through the race. With him, you just you just sort of jump out in front, and let him do his own thing. Uh, again, he was he was ridden well by Harry Cobden, kept him reasonably wide on the track. Whereas the the favourite under Barry Garrity, oddly enough, given that Barry had um, had won, um, taken the outside route, uh, she was. Uh, I mean, he may have been forced to go towards the inside. She didn't travel particularly well for him. But Slate House is the best horse in that race anyway and will improve a lot more. And he will make a chaser. Fascinating. I don't even have to get that cliched question in there. You just announce it straight away. Let's switch from Cheltenham to another track that had soft, heavy conditions, Punchestown, which finally saw the return after 665 days of Faheen. Uh, Kevin Blake, we debated this in the show last week. I couldn't remember if he was looking fat as a fool on Irish St. Ledger Day at the Curra with producer D when we went out to the paddock, or if, as you were saying, he looked fit. Um, and there were kind of mixed reports in the lead-up to his comeback as well. Vroom Vroom Mag was going to take him on. She didn't run, which is a shame, because it would have given us a better insight into the form. But you've got two former champion hurdle winners. You've got the Irish Cesarowicz winner in Swamp Fox. You've got Campiador, who was being quietly talked up by a few on social media in the lead-up to the race as well. And Faheen has absolutely destroyed them. Um, the dreaded bounce factor you can allude to a little bit later on in your summation of this, but for me, this was just brilliant to see him back in action, to see he's fit and well, and I love the reaction he got from the crowd as well. That he was, he, he was fantastic. Anyone that had you know expectations, I'm sure he exceeded them. You know, he he was ridden like a horse that had no concerns about stamina, about, about sorry fitness. Um, to me, I wasn't there. Now I was at the sales yesterday, but looking at plenty of footage of him in the parade ring. He looked fit for him. He's always a horse that can carry condition, um, but he looked he looked plenty fit to me. And uh, I was delighted with the way he jumped. He jumped very well by by Fawheen's sometimes clumsy standards. Um, he had a reach for I think it was the Ford last, and he was a small bit messy at the last, but he was very good in general. And um, and he's hammered them, you know, quite what level of form he's shown. It's, it's a little bit hard to put your finger on because Jeski 
was very good in his comeback, but he was very good on his comeback last season, and he didn't necessarily go on from that. So it, it's hard to put your finger on what he's done, but you know, visually, he's ticked the boxes. He, he he's bolted away, um, raced with loads of enthusiasm, and you could only be really positive about it. I thought it was very very good. Paul Townend stepping in for the injured Ruby Walsh, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, this was a great starting point for his campaign, Kevin. The talk is Kempton or or Leopardstown, as you'd expect. He can go for the, the Ryanair champion hurdle or for the Christmas hurdle at Kempton, which, of course, he's won in 2014 and 2015. Uh, he'll be 10 when he goes for the champion hurdle, if they can keep him sound and, and fit and well. On the basis of what you saw over the weekend, should the likes of Bouvedere be quaking in their boots? Is he back? I think so. You know, he's, he's certainly most of the way back. You know, like I say, it's very difficult to put your finger on it and really hang your hat on it and say, yes, he's 100% back, but he's, he's an awful long way there. And Boomer there, to be fair to him, has done very little wrong. Um, but his two biggest days at the back end of last season were at the expense of uh, Mike Henry-Ours, who, you know, while being obviously a very, very good horse, yeah, you know, okay, yeah. He, was he was he was he at the height of his powers at the back end of last season? So you know, I think he'll certainly represent the biggest challenge that Bouverdere is likely to meet this season. Um, and I suppose the thing is, we're not going to get to find out until Cheltenham, and we're probably not going to get to find out. You know, Jeffrey Desai is going to make his bid in the meantime, but if he has a couple of soft opportunities between now and Cheltenham, I could very much see that situation where we have. Hoover Dare, Paul Heenan, Deputy Desai turning up in March. You know, my fingers crossed with all of them, but especially Paul Heenan with his um, well-documented training problems in the past. I can see a situation where they all turn up, and we really don't know. We will have no real guide. We won't have learned any more about about any of them in the meantime, because they'll be able. One would imagine they'll all avoid each other before then. Mm. And um, the question, the big questions, won't be answered until the big day, which, which is kind of nice in a way. But victories between now and then, I think. You would imagine they'll probably go down the Hurricane Fly route and go for the Ryanair hurdle with them, as opposed to going over to Kempton, for all that he's had success there, uh, just because it keeps him away yeah, from Bouvedere. Well, yeah, and they're, they mentioned the Irish champion hurdle now. I'd say when they sit down and think about it, I wouldn't be surprised if he has the one run at Christmas and then go there, go to Cheltenham Fresh, because um, while he was brilliant in the Irish champion hurdle two years ago, that was sort of a, a break from the normal routine, and it obviously didn't end well. So I wouldn't be surprised now that when it really comes down to it, they'll go to Christmas more than likely Leopardstown and then decide to do what has worked well for them in the past and just freshen them up and head straight for Cheltenham. Rory, fantastic to see Faheen back in such good form. It was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were slight questions um, with him, given the absence, given his age and the nature of his injury. Although, you know, as Kevin had said um, before, he'd been he'd been close to a comeback in the spring and had just been kept ticking over so we had a fairly short summer summer break and we expected him to be pretty straight for this I'll tell you what's, what's interesting about this um, time form as of Friday started publishing um, their time figures for jumps races for the first time ever and um, that's a very interesting development they've, they've, they've been collating them for a long time um, but haven't have only just started publishing them and his his uh, time figure for winning at Punchestown is better than anything Bouver Dare has ever done, including winning the champion hurdle. Whoa! And, and a lot better than anything Defi Desoy has ever done. Um, they they rate it on on um, 
on the time figures, six pounds below his very best, which was which was winning that Irish Champion hurdle on his previous start. Um, and that's I mean that's, you know you can look at the race and go well nothing's really pressed him. He's been racing the clock. Um, but when a horse is racing the clock, it's worth looking at what the clock says, and the clock appears to say, "Wow, you know, we tend." To, people have always said with 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 um, the top Irish two mile hurdlers for the last ten seasons, "Yeah, what have they beaten though?" You know, Hurricane Fly, sure he's only beaten Solwit over and over again, or he's only beaten Jetski, etc. But you know, when you can actually analyse the, the times of these races as well, you find out an awful lot more. Mm. Um, and he was clearly very, very close to his very best. Um, at the weekend, yes. the question, as as been said, is just how well he sees out his campaign, um, and how he will need to be um, looked after between now and March to show his best. If he if he arrives at Cheltenham in March in the same form he was there, or just ever so slightly tighter, then he's going to be a massive player. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of Bouverdeur. Always have been. Uh, in saying that, you know, Bouverdeur gets. Um, uh, gets a time figure two pounds inferior to that for his champion hurdle win last season. So that suggests the pair of them are very close. Uh, and you could say Bouverdeur might have a bit of improvement in him in his third season. So it's a, it's a really interesting matchup, but at least it gives you something to get your, get your teeth stuck into um, rather than guessing to the level of form. Uh, visually, it was very impressive. And um, it the numbers suggest that that was a very, very high-class performance from him. And... and only marginally behind the very best he's shown in the past. Yeah, when you, when you consider the fact, Kevin, that Jeski came back last season and he made a winning reappearance and then it just went downhill. Um, and, and he's had a winning reappearance again and has been put in his place by Faheen. Like, it's probably just a case of Jeski's now a good horse, but not he'll never be quite what he once was. And that's fine. You know, he's still capable of, of running well. And I know Jess Carrington was very proud of his effort yesterday. But the fact that Faheen can come back from such a layoff and put in such an impressive performance in grade one company, hopefully he doesn't bounce. Hopefully he can keep this going. And, and if he does, it just makes the national season so much more interesting and so much more fascinating because racing needs its stars. And he's one of the brightest. Yeah, big time. And I think that his absence will have elevated him and people's thoughts as well. Because Faheen was a horse that kind of struggled to really capture the imagination. But I think now that he's come back from, from adversity, you know, I think you can see it in the reception and the, the buzz surrounding him on Sunday that I think it's, he, he's just gone up in people's estimations a little bit. They'll appreciate him a bit more now that he's back. And I, I just hope he stays right because he, he's had a share of problems. This was a big effort. And I just hope he, he comes out of it all good. Um, and just briefly, Jeski, you know, there would be a train of thought there that he maybe is not his very best uh, on retesting ground like that. And that could be potentially be, be, be a mitigating factor for him, but I don't want to get I don't want to get too deeply into that for him. You know, I'll focus on what what he did, and um, I wasn't aware of that what, what Rory said there about the time figure. That could only give you more encouragement again. You know. Well, there's long been a suspicion from Final Furlong podcast listeners that this show is very heavily biased in favour of British racing. The boys are always talking about the British racing, as they say. They never, <laughs> they never give the Irish racing enough of a talk. Uh, and that's going to be confirmed, that bias, by the fact that Producer D has just told me that we need to wrap this up pretty quickly as time is against us. So, Kevin, uh, briefly for you, uh, good performances from Woodland Opera, which was nice to see. We know he's one of Vanessa's favourite horses. He beat Tombstone. And also in Novice Chase Company, we saw a 1-2 for Gordon Elliott, Presenting Percy a little bit disappointing, a little bit flat at his jumps, a little bit novice at his jumps, I thought, which I suppose is understandable given it's a novice chase, but a 1-2 for Gordon with Jury Duty and Shattered Love. Start off with Woodland Opera for us. Um, I won't because I haven't seen it yet. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Rory DeLarge, step in there and bail him out. N- never been a fan of Woodland Opera. Oh. I have to say, when the guys were, were, were keen on him. But I thought he finally showed his mettle at the weekend. It's It's been sort of style over substance when he's been winning before now. And, and he's put in a fair few stinkers in his short career. But he jumped really well, looked at the business for a long way, was strongly challenged by Tombstone from the last and dug out more to win. And that's the first time I've ever seen him dig out more and show that he really had that resilience. And that is a big, big step in the right direction for Woodland Opera. I thought that was a very, very good performance. All right, and jury duty right. beating Shattered Love and presenting Percy. What do you make of that race? I thought I thought we overrated presenting Percy going into the race. Um, the race he won at Galway first time out was full of interesting horses, but wasn't. It was everyone seemed to be testing the water in there, didn't they? And I don't think the form was was. Um, uh, quite what we made it out to be. Bear in mind, he was um, he had a handicap mark of 130 six months ago, and the horses who beat him were rated higher than that around the same time. He took a big rise um, before Cheltenham. He's a very good horse, and he will win decent races over fences, but I don't think he's a great one horse. Okay, one for the ATR tracker from the Codfather was Rapid Escape, and he got the job done again uh, in pretty good style for Lisa O'Neill in the concluding race at Punchestown yesterday. So the Codfather produces a winner again. It might be a Robbie McNamara-style winner in that it's odds on, but still, we will happily take it. Somebody did have their... I do know that, that D was saying to me yesterday that one of the team names in... Um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but might as well. Uh, one of the team names is finally a podcast winner. Uh, for the Stable Stars and the Final Four Podcast League. So, uh, ha ha ha, hilarious. Kind of, you're right. And please keep listening to the show and races and uh, Apple Podcasts and all that malarkey. Right, um, time is really against us, but I want to deal with this Altior story and get your selections for the Bedford Chase as well. Uh, Kevin Blake, a breathing operation rules a horse out until the Cheltenham Festival at this time of year. Explain. Uh, well, not the best. That's what it is. You know, there's many, many different kinds of breathing operations. Um, it's a hope day, I believe. Yeah, look, a hop day, he'll have uh, two weeks box rest, maybe, and then get back to us. You know, I think it'll be, you know, Cheltenham should be just fine. Like, he should be able to get a run in before Cheltenham, really. But look, I'm not training the horse. Um, but I would, I certainly, it would be far from panic patients about him getting to Cheltenham now, in my mind. But we know Nicky is quite conservative with his good horses, so he'll give him all the time he needs. But I suppose the big story was, was everything that surrounded this whole this whole thing, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, how dare, how dare Lydia Hislop do her job? How dare she ask legitimate, perfectly reasonable questions to get to the truth? I mean, what was she thinking? This is, this really angered me, I have to say, over the weekend, that, that two of her colleagues would ring up, like it's a, like it's a playground, and would ring up Nicky Henderson and say, you might want to steer clear there. I really liked the fact that Barry Gardy and Paul Nichols and everybody else... Doing it it. I'm doing it to wind you up. I'm doing it to wind you up, and it keeps working. Uh, that Barry Gardy and Paul Nichols you know, spoke so warmly to Lydia. Like, I like that. But this is ridiculous. It's just all very uncomfortable. It's very awkward. Davey Yates made a comment on Twitter saying he's worked in the press room for 27 years. He's seen nothing like it. Um, I'm not going to paraphrase for other people, but I've, I've, I've had people direct message me who work in the industry and say they're really angered by it and disgusted by it. But Kevin, you are a regular in the press room. 
you're one of the most respected journalists in the game, although you're not nominated for an award this year, which is an absolute disgrace, and we've all decided to... Uh, <laughs> To snub, to snub the award ceremony. By the way, Lydia's nominated for Broadcaster of the Year, so this is kind of like a, hmm, they did it right there, but they, they snubbed Kev. But to me, this is shameful. That behaviour from journalists would go on. Anti-Irish bias. Yeah, I'm not talking about you. Hold on. I'm not talking about you being snubbed for a nomination, Kevin. I'm talking about the fact that Lydia was shopped by two journalists. Do. And again, oh, Kev. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> um, no, look, it's just really disappointing because you know there is a bit of an image there of the of the press room being a bit of an old boys club, and, and this sort of thing just really doesn't it? Just really, it's not like she was doing any you know major digging or probing or being being really out there. She was just trying to establish the facts yeah. so that she could be informed uh, when she when she spoke to Nikki. You know, it's, it's not, I wouldn't even call it probing and asking questions and digging. She was just doing her homework. Exactly. You know, that's, that's all she was doing, you know? Uh, so it was just really disappointing, you know? Like you say, playground stuff. Um, and, and Nicky um, did, didn't do himself any favours now in, in, in throwing, throwing his toys out of the pram on, on that. You know, he shouldn't be... You know, Nicky said in, in the interviews that he did that he felt he couldn't have done any more. You know, if he, he's comfortable with that, he believes that, you know, he shouldn't be... He, he should well any questioning to, to get on the phone. He, um, he was probably, you know, there was legitimate questions. These journalists have silenced Kevin Blake again. They're trying to hack the system, Rory. Yeah, they got him. They got him all right, oh. haven't they? Yeah. And there you go. Um, you're a regular in the press room. You've, you're obviously, you wrote an article for I'm the Irish Field about, uh, about Deputy Desoy over the weekend and his withdrawal from, from the Greatwood. Um, but your reaction to this, I mean, first of all, we've got the, the timeline of events from Altior being taken out. But the, the thing that really annoys me is, is what went on. And it's the thing that seems to annoy an awful lot of people. What happened to Lydia? Yeah. You're doing your job. If that's you and you are asking legitimate questions and somebody rings a trainer and says, hey, Rory Delargy's been asking, he's acting like a bloodhound, that Rory Delargy. You want to watch out for him? You'd be grossly offended, surely. Of course you would. Um, and uh, in fairness to the press room generally, um, there's a lot of unrest about this. and uh, People unhappy that, that that would be the case. Um, in fairness, trying to be devil's advocate about this, it's very unlikely that three different people phoned Nicky Henderson and used the same expression to him. And I wonder whether there's a little bit of exaggeration. I think he may well have been contacted by three people who mentioned that um, he might be getting questioned by, by Lydia. And one of them may have been poisonous about it. Um, and therefore warned him off. But it's very possible, and I don't want to put anyone in the, in the mix here, but bear in mind that the people who work for Unibet, who would be doing his blog for him, I mean, we don't really believe that Nicky Henderson is typing away at his keyboard <laughs> to, to write a blog, do we? Or that Nicky Henderson is actually, is actually tweeting. On an, on an Underwood typewriter, t typing away. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say about Poovadia? So, it, uh, so, so it's perfectly so possible. So the plan with Poovadia is to go for the fatting fifth. <laughs> it's perfectly possible that the first phone call he got, or one of those phone calls, was from the person who, who puts the blog together just to give him a heads up and say, uh, listen, you probably would need to know I've been speaking. Uh, and it could have been whoever Lydia was speaking to. He said, I've been speaking to Lydia Hislop. Um, and she was asking about this. So you may get asked about this later on. 
and that wouldn't have been a, a horrible phone call to make at all. That's, that would be a duty of care from his contact at Unibet. Yeah, that's but a But there obviously point. is a possibility that, that another two people, or at least one other person, has come out with the Bloodhounds um, quote and has pretty much said, you, you probably want to give her the swerve. In which case, that person or those people have a lot to answer for. But I, I, I'm not sure there are three villains in this piece. That, that's that's just my devil's advocate okay, uh, piece. That, and I know that Lydia doesn't know. Lydia, Lydia has the decency not to ask. Yes, yes, that's a good point. And she made that point on Twitter. And, and by the just, way, by the way, Lydia Hislop is more than capable of fighting her own battles. I would have mentioned this if it was anybody. I would have mentioned this if it was Tony Calvin, if it was you, if it was Chris Cook. This is just out of line. It's out of order. You can't have this kind of stuff going on. Racing is a game that needs to do more to open its doors to people. And it's, it's getting there very, very slowly. But when this kind of thing happens, it just it brings back that phrase you used. Oh, it's like the press room's an old boys club or that racing's yeah. an old boys club. And, and we had that brilliant article, which is on a completely different topic entirely from Lee Modished in the Racing Post, which I strongly recommend you read. If you haven't read it, they've made it available online. And well done to him for writing that. Well done to him for writing it. But he shouldn't have had to. He shouldn't have had to be in a position to write that article because the thing should never have been said in the first place. And as Kevin and I were talking about yesterday, it is extraordinary to think that anybody would even have that mindset. And, and if they do have that mindset, that they'd put it in print and think, oh, yeah, this is acceptable to do. So the thing for me is the image of racing. You know, we're, we're doing so much and working so hard in the BHA and the, a lot of criticism of the racing governing bodies, but everybody's doing so much to take racing that little step further. And it's things like this that just give it such a negative view and knock it back. And it's, it's disrespectful to the journalism industry, it's disrespectful to broadcasters, it's disrespectful to the fans, and it's just not warranted, and it's not needed for somebody who's a professional and who's, and who's liked it at the business as well, and it doesn't matter who it is, it's just unacceptable behavior. I also would ask you this, Roy Delargy, how much of this was a deflection from what had gone on with Altior and the fact that the markets came down when they did, but that the news didn't actually emerge until later on and that the news emerged on a betting blog and not through traditional media sources? Well, I, listen, I think, I think as a generic issue, it's something that needs to be looked at. I think this individual case, um, you look at, at those involved and I think everyone has acted innocently. I'm fairly sure of that. I wrote that in, the, in my Irish field piece, although I did point out that I wouldn't believe that a, a firm would deliberately use inside information to force a bigger rule four on unsuspecting customers, and yet that's happened. Um, so I don't think, I think everyone involved has done what they thought was best, but that's not good enough. You know, naivety can lead you into trouble. I think Nicky's very naive. I think he's very, I think he was genuinely very upset. I think that that's the way with Nicky. He thought he was doing everything absolutely by the book. He's very good with the media generally, but it's the 21st century and you need to have protocols in place for scenarios like this so that every I is dotted and every T is crossed and information is put in the public domain as quickly as possible. Interestingly, Nicky harked back to last year, the same weekend last year with Sprinter Sacra when he was when he was retired and said, look what I did last year. I did it absolutely by the book. And actually, no one's actually picked up on this. The Sprinter Sacra thing, the horse was retired on Thursday or Friday. 
They made the decision midweek to retire the horse. Then a press conference was called at the race course so that Nicky could make a formal announcement about it. That's right. And in a manner of speaking, that was a very noble thing to do. And he, he welled up. He cried. He thought about what the horse meant to him. He thought he was doing best by the media by giving everyone the same interview at the same time. But the problem with that was it happened 48 to 72 hours after the event had happened. Yeah. And yeah. that's the issue. And I'm not knocking Nicky Henderson for that because he thought he was doing exactly what was the right thing. And so did the race course because they arranged the the, um, the press conference and they thought it was best not to tell people what the press conference was about because it would spoil it. But the bottom line is when you have a uh, the favourite for a grade one race, the odds-on favourite for a grade one race um, being out of action, that needs to be in the public domain immediately. You make a very a very brief statement Obviously, you speak to the owners of the horse first, but in this day and age, it doesn't take 10 days to find the owner of a horse. Yeah. You make a phone call, yeah. you get a hold of them, they know, and you, you immediately say, at the very least, you're going to hold a message out saying, um, announcement to come shortly about this, which, which is what happens on Thursday, but it probably happened an hour and a half later than it should have. So they were close to being spot on, but the BHA needs to realise or any, any racing authority needs to realize that with more and more trainers signing up to be ambassadors or whatever they want to call it to, to betting firms, that has got potentially negative connotations. So that relationship must be very well policed just so that the public have confidence. I don't think there's any, any funny goings on there. Obviously, I ghost the column as well. So mm. I'm, I'm not saying it's a disgrace, it shouldn't happen. I'm just saying that in a scenario where pertinent information comes to light, that must be published immediately. And the firms who are doing this, you could have a very, very young betting firm. A firm has only been set up months ago. You need better reasonably new themselves who get into this without realizing how important the journalistic aspect of what they're doing is and just through naivety miss it out. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, and it that's, damages them. That's a very, very good way of, of summing that up, Rory. And I think you've done that very fairly as well. And I'm sure that Kevin echoes your comments as well. Kevin's signal hasn't been the best lately. Uh, time is very much against us. I would say that, and we'll talk about this in next week's podcast as well. I've no problem with um, trainers or jockeys being, being um, ambassadors for betting companies. I've absolutely no problem with it at all because it normally results in more content. And the more information exactly, that yes. we have, the better off we are. And there's, there's some excellent columns. Some of them are, you know, they're, they're fairly so-so, but some of the stuff that we get is really interesting. So that's, I don't have a problem with that, um, but there are times where things need to be looked at, and this was certainly one of them, and I think you summed that up very, very well and gave everybody their fair hearing, Rory Delargy. Time is completely against us. We have to go. So very briefly, Rory, who wins the bet for a chase? Uh, Bristol Demai. Okay. So citing John Drifted today, actually. Maybe you won't be suitable the conditions. Kevin Blake, who wins the yes. Betfair Chase? I'd say maybe Bristol Dubai. And just Ooh. briefly, very, very briefly, because I didn't get a chance to mention it, Monolith the other day. Oh, Fantastic. I was saving him for you, actually. He was brilliant. Fantastic. Oh, I watched that race with a massive smile on my face. I love the way he went through the race. I love the way he jumped. He's a smashing horse. And uh, that was just one of the, the latest Really, really exciting chasing debut we've seen in Ireland. I love that performance. It was brilliant. Well said. That's it. We are done. Kevin Blake can elaborate further on that next week. We'll talk more about Altior as well. Uh, and, of course, we'll have more Cheltenham views because it's all about Cheltenham. Uh, enjoy the Betfair Chase. The boys are on Bristol Demise, so I'm going to blindly follow them in. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're back on AtTheRaces.com and Apple Podcasts next week from Rory Delargy. Good night. From Kevin Blake.
They've silenced them again. And from me, Emma's Kennedy, we're off. We'll see you next week on the, on the final Furlong podcast. It's like broadcasting in the 1970s. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.